Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to this uh, podcast of Isaiah chapter 54. Now, 54 to 57 are Zion poems, and as Elder McConkie said, that one of the keys to understanding Isaiah is the Book of Mormon. I'm going to start by reading um, from 3 Nephi chapter 21, verses 22 to 29, which is kind of a preface, and uh, where the Lord puts in context what's mentioned here in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 is also uh, the same as 3 Nephi 22. But starting in 3 Nephi 21, verse 22, let me read this. But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, remember this is the the Lord's words now to the Nephites, I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. Much confusion ensues among Latter-day Saints because of a narrow reading of a certain passage in the Book of Mormon. This, the phrase, remnant of Jacob, is not confined wholly to the descendants of Lehi, nor should we limit the Lord or the prophetic word to that interpretation. The remnant of Jacob refers to all the house of Israel. Verse 23, And they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob, and also as many of the houses of, house of Israel as shall come, that they may build a city which shall be called the New Jerusalem. Remember that all through the Lord has been speaking of the remnant of Jacob or Israel and of the great promises made to the Gentiles who are on this land and in other lands. And if they only come under the only come into the church and be numbered with the house of Israel. Their privileges would be to assist in building the new Jerusalem, and if they refuse, they shall be the, they shall, then shall the punishments come upon them. I take it we, the members of the church, must, most of us you, uh, of the tribe of Ephraim are of, are of the remnant of Jacob. We know it to be the fact that the Lord called upon the, the, the descendants of Ephraim to commence this work and in uh, the earth in these last days. We know further that it has been said that he set Ephraim according to the promises of his birthright at the head. Ephraim receives the greater blessings or the richer blessings, these blessings being those of presidency or direction. The keys are with Ephraim. It is Ephraim who is it, who is to be endowed with power to bless and give to the other tribes including the Lamanites, their blessings. All the other tribes of Jacob, including the Lamanites, are to be crowned with glory in Zion by the hands of Ephraim. Now do the scriptures teach that Ephraim, after doing all this, is to abdicate or relinquish his place and give it to the Lamanites and then receive orders from this branch of the remnant of Jacob in the building of the new Jerusalem? This certainly is inconsistent with the whole plan and with all the Lord has revealed in the Doctrine and Covenants in relation to the establishment of Zion and the building of the new Jerusalem. That the remnant of Joseph found among the descendants of Lehi will have part in this great work is certainly consistent, and the great work of this restoration, the building of the temple in the city of Zion or New Jerusalem, will fall to the lot of the descendants of Joseph, but it is Ephraim who will stand at the head and direct the work. James E. Talmadge said, The Book of Mormon foretells the establishment of Zion on the western continent, but the precise location was not revealed until after the restoration of the priesthood in the present dispensation. In 1831, the Lord commanded the elders of his church in this wise, Go ye forth into the western countries, call upon the inhabitants to repent, and inasmuch as they do repent, build up churches unto me. And with one heart and with one mind, gather up your riches, that ye may purchase an inheritance, which shall hereafter be appointed unto you. 
and and it shall call and it shall be called the new jerusalem a land of peace a city of refuge a place of safety for the saints of the most high god and the glory of the lord shall be there and the terror of the lord shall be there in insomuch that the wicked will not come into it and it shall be called zion later revelations directed the elders of the church to assemble in western missouri and designated that place as the land appointed and consecrated for the gathering of the saints. Wherefore, this is the land of promise, and the place for the city of Zion. The town of Independence was named as the center place, and the site for the temple was designated, the saints being counseled to purchase land there, that they may obtain may obtain it for an everlasting inheritance. On August the 3rd, 1831, the temple site thus named was dedicated by the prophet Joseph Smith and his associates in the priesthood. The region round about was also dedicated that it might be a gathering place for the people of God. Such then is the belief of the Latter-day Saints, such are the teachings of the church. But the plan of building up Zion has not yet been consummated. The saints were not permitted to enter into immediate possession of the land which was promised them as an everlasting inheritance. Even as years elapsed between the time of the Lord's promise to Israel of old that, that Canaan should be their inheritance, and the time of their entering into possession thereof, years devoted to the people's toilsome and sorrowful preparation for the fulfillment. So in these latter days the divine purpose is held in abeyance, while the people are being sanctified for the great gift for the responsibilities associated with it. In the meantime, the honest in heart are gathering to the valleys of the Rocky Mountains, and here in the tops of the mountains, exalted above the hills. Temples have been erected, and all nations are flowing into unto this region. But Zion shall yet be established on the chosen site, she shall not be moved out of her place, and the pure in heart shall return with songs of everlasting joy to build up the waste places of Zion. Zion is to be chastened, but only for a little season. Then will come the time of her redemption. That time will be appointed of God, yet it is to be determined according to the faithfulness of the people. Wickedness causes the Lord to tarry, for said, saith he, therefore in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. And again, Zion shall be redeemed in mine own due time. But the Lord's time is giving blessings is dependent upon the prospective recipients. As long ago as 1834 came the word of the Lord unto the church. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the, for the transgressions of my people speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. President Kimball said, speaking to the Lamanites, you must blossom as the rose upon the mountain. You must flourish and you must become a great people so that you can go back to Jackson County with us and we with you and we will build there the magnificent temple with which Orson Pratt said will be the most beautiful building that ever was built or that ever will be built. It will be the culmination of everything that is beautiful and wonderful and within its walls will be the sealing power and the Indians are going to assist with the, with the temple. That is why these Indian people who have accepted the gospel must remain true to, no matter what happens or no matter what comes. They must remain true and faithful. They must go to the temple and get their endowments and their ceilings. They must be leaders in their communities because not too far away there is going to be a great migration to Jackson County, Missouri, and they and there we are going to build the, the great temple. And that is only part of it. We will go forward with you Indian people by the thousands and the tens of thousands to work night and day in the holy temple of God to see that your ancestors, all those that died from Christ up to now, all those who were killed at the Hill Cumorah, all those who were killed in between for hundreds and hundreds of years, all have the work done for them so they may receive the exaltation and eternal life of man. What works you have to do, you good folks, you must never falter. You must continue on growing to your, full, to your total stature and bringing your people with you because the Lord's promises never fail. 
Verse 24, And then shall they assist my people, that they may be gathered in, who are scattered upon all the face of the land, in unto the new Jerusalem. And then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and I also will be in the midst. This is during the millennium. And then shall the work of the Father commence at that day, even when the, this gospel shall be preached among the remnant of this people. Verily I say unto you, at that day shall the work of the Father commence among all the dispersed of my people. Yea, even the tribes which have been lost, which the Father hath led away out of Jerusalem. We are currently in a gathering phase, but the gathering will take place during the millennium, according to Joseph Fielding Smith, will occur within one generation. It will be exceedingly fast and massive throughout the world. The tribe of Joseph has been gathering since 1830. We, are, we have been gathering the gatherers. In talking about... Uh, Jerusalem at the end here. This is a millennial setting. It is a setting in which wickedness and crime and vengeance are no longer on earth. Yes, the work of the Father shall commence in the great millennial day in the sense that its magnitude shall be infinitely greater than anything we can even identify with today. All that has gone on in the past will seem to pale into insignificance when missionary work goes forward during the thousand years. Jehovah spake through Je Jeremiah, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he hath driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave, that I gave unto their fathers. And then the master described the manner in which missionaries would, would, re, would search out the people. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them, and after will I send many for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks." Verse 27, Yea, the work shall commence among all the dispersed of my people, with the Father to prepare the way whereby they may come unto me, that they may call on the name on the Father in my name. Yea, and then shall the work commence which the, with the Father among all nations in preparing the way whereby his people may be gathered home to the land of their inheritance. Here is the summation of it all. Men and women gather first to Christ the Lord, accept his gospel, call upon the Father in his name, partake of the sanctifying powers of his holy atoning blood, and in process of time become perfect in him. Second, those who gather to Christ, who gather to where the people of Christ congregate, to the lands of their inheritance. For some it is the United States. For millions it will be in such diverse places as gathering as Korea, Brazil, Germany, New Zealand, or 10,000 like places. For the time being, Latter-day Saints are asked to remain where they are in those nations where they hold citizenship. In this manner, the tent of Zion is expanded and strengthened as more and more stakes are driven into the earth. The revealed word relative to the gathering to independence and its environs will come through the prophet of God on earth. When it does come, with, with the consequent return of the saints to that Zion, which shall not be moved out of its place, that call will not be for the saints in general to assemble there. The return to Jackson County will be by delegates, as it were. Those whose services are needed there will, will assemble as appointed. The rest of Israel will remain in their appointed places. Remember that uh, Zion... <clears throat> Or New Jerusalem isn't big enough for everybody. In fact, I think that the plot of, of, of Jackson County or of Independence that was designed by the prophet would only take about uh, 20 or 30,000 people. So uh, it's not going to be big enough for everybody. Verse 29, And they shall go out from all nations, and they shall go not out in haste, during a time of peace and organized leadership, nor go by flight, for I will go before them, saith the Father, and I will be their rearward. We have seen earlier through a modern revelation that the setting for the great work of the gathering, particularly of the lost ten tribes, is millennial. 
Elder McConkie has written, We do not say that occasional blood descendants of Reuben or Naphtali or others of the other tribal heads shall not return to their Palestinian Zion or assemble in an American Zion or find their way into the stakes of Zion in all nations all before the second coming of Christ. Some shall no doubt return to Canaan as true believers and members of the true church with the intent and purpose of fulfilling the, the scriptures and building up the ancient cities of Israel. This may veil, This may well happen in some small measure, and to it there can be no objection. Great movements have small beginnings and floods that sweep forth from bursting dams are first forecast, then small rivulets trickle from the pent-up reservoirs. But we do say that the great day of the return of the ten tribes, the day when the assembling hosts shall fulfill the prophetic promises, shall come after the Lord's return. All right, now I'm going to actually start Isaiah chapter 54. Huh, what a concept. Remember that what I've read before is sort of a, is the Lord's putting things into context uh, as he visited with the Nephites. Verse 1, And then shall that which is written come to pass. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Israel is called a barren wife because of her inability or unwillingness to produce spiritual offspring for the Lord. But in the end, when she is gathered once again, there will be more children from the desolate or temporarily forsaken wife than when she enjoyed her wedded status. In ancient times, Christ did the travail. Scattered Israel, those who for generations have lived without the light of the gospel, who have not been fruitful in the faith of their fathers, these are also identified in this passage as children of the desolate. The children of the married wife are members of the church. An era when those who have come into the faith from their scattered condition will outnumber those Israelites who had already found their way into the true church. It's one thing to quote the Lord, it's another thing for the Lord to quote you. Scattered Israel will gather in such numbers as to be so huge as to cause any prior miracles to pale in comparison. Brother Victor Ludlow said, the desolate woman and her relationship to the wife can be understood in two ways. One, the desolate woman represents the Gentiles and the wife Israel. Thus, the Gentiles will bring forth greater spiritual fruits than Israel has delivered. Two, the desolate woman is Israel in her scattered condition, while the wife is those people remaining in the Holy Land. Thus, Israel will bring forth more children, both physically and spiritually, outside the land of her original inheritance than in it. In either case, Isaiah uses these images to symbolize the relationship of the Lord to Israel. Those who join with covenant Israel are the children of that relationship. Verse 2, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Jeffrey R. Holland said, The large movements of large of Israel's conversion, gathering and return to the lands of her, of her inheritance, will require strong and large stakes in Zion. Growth will be on the right hand and on the left, with Gentile cities probably left desolate by the wrath poured out without mixture upon the whole earth, inhabited by the children of the covenant. It is from this imagery of Israel's wilderness tent tabernacle, with its cords, curtains, borders, and stakes, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints draws its use of the word stake for the name of its basic ecclesiastical unit. The last thing to be put into a large tent is the center pole. Likewise, the center stake of Zion, New Jerusalem, will complete the tent in our day. These five commands are what we should be doing to build the kingdom in the last days. Enlarge, stretch, inhabit, lengthen, and strengthen. 
the, the Doctrine and Covenant states, For Zion must increase in beauty and in holiness, for her borders must be enlarged, her stakes must be strengthened. Yea, verily I say unto you, Zion must put on her beautiful garments. Joseph Fielding Smith said, To speak of Zion, the New Jerusalem, or even that section where the city will be built as a stake of Zion, is a sad mistake. Zion is the tent. Stakes of Zion are the binding pegs that support her. Zion, therefore, cannot be a stake. It would be as improper to call a tent a stake as to apply this term to Zion. Verse 3, For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Cleon Skousen said, In the day of their final gathering, the saints will break forth on the right hand and on the left. The Israelites will not only occupy the mountains, valleys, desert, and plains, but they will invade the desolate and abandoned cities of the Gentiles. This would suggest that a certain amount of domestic warfare will have cleansed the land of Gentile wickedness. After each of the world wars ended, it was amazing how the people were able to clean up the rubble and erect magnificent modern cities in a relatively short time. The gathering saints will do the same in America. They will take over the desolate cities of the Gentiles and cause them to be inhabited. Jeffrey R. Holland said, Sometimes by choice and sometimes by circumstances, Israel has been a barren, childless woman who has not borne fruit or lived up to her promises, potential, and covenants. Nevertheless, desolate Israel can and will be fruitful, even in the times and places her scattering and dispersion. The large movement of Israel's conversion, gathering and return to the lands of her inheritance, <clears throat> will require strong and large stakes in Zion. Growth will be on the right hand and on the left, with Gentile cities probably left desolate by the wrath poured out without mixture. Verse 4, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy Maker, thy husband, the Lord of hosts, is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Elder Holland said, Even though there, was, there has been barrenness and sometimes unfaithfulness, yet will the husband, Christ, reclaim and redeem his bride, Israel. The imagery of Jehovah as bridegroom and Israel as bride is among the most commonly used metaphors in Scripture, being used by the Lord and his prophets to describe the relationship between deity and the children of the covenant. Cynthia Holland said, <clears throat> Like people who are widowed, divorced, or never married, Zion is alone for a season, but not forever. The Savior of the whole earth is her husband. The etymology of the English word husband is a compound of house and prepare. Thus a husband is one who prepares or builds a house. The Lord is Zion's husband, or house builder, because he makes the earth as a home for all creatures. He creates bodies as temples for spirit children. He builds temples as places of worship, and he prepares heavenly mansions for his children. Verse 6, For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused. In Hebrew, because thou wast despised, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Elder Holland said, Christ has on occasion been rightfully angry with backsliding Israel, but that has always been brief and temporary, a small moment. Compassion and mercy always return and prevail in a most reassuring way. The mountains and the hills may disappear, the water of the great seas may dry up, the least likely things in the world may happen, but the Lord's kindness and peace will never be taken from his covenant people. He has sworn with a heavenly oath that he will not be wroth with them forever. In addition to, his, to this gathering of hearts and souls, the Jews will gather to their land of promise in Palestine. It also appears that there will be a gathering of a large group of the ten tribes who may return en masse from the land of, or lands of their exile. 
Doctrine and Covenants 133 says, And they who are in the north country shall come in remembrance before the Lord, and their prophets shall hear his voice and shall no longer stay themselves, and they shall smite the rocks, and the ice shall flow down at their presence. And an highway shall be cast up in the midst of the great deep. Their enemies shall become a prey unto them, and in the barren deserts shall they Come forth, shall come forth pools of living water, and the parched ground shall no longer be a thirsty land. And they shall bring forth their rich treasures unto the children of Ephraim, my servants, and the boundaries of the everlasting hills shall tremble at their presence. And, their, and there shall they fall down and be crowned with glory, even in Zion, by the hands of the servants of the Lord, even the children of Ephraim. And they shall be filled with songs of everlasting joy. Behold, this is the blessing of the everlasting God upon the tribes of Israel, and the richer blessing upon the head of Ephraim and his fellows. Verse 8. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord your Redeemer. Cynthia Hallen says, Among Orthodox Jews, a husband is not allowed to watch his wife going through the labor of childbirth. He sits in the corner of the delivery room with his back turned so that she will not feel embarrassed or immodest in her unavoidable hour of agony. He does not abandon her, although she may feel very much alone. The woman recites or sings psalms as she endures contractions. When the pain becomes too great for her to continue singing, the husband takes over, reciting psalms for her. Although Zion cannot see the Lord in the time of her probation, when she weeps, he weeps with her. When she sings, he rejoices with her. Verse 9, For this the waters of Noah unto me... For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah shall no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee. Since he has sworn not to be angry with Israel, nor to rebuke her, and since he also has promised that he will chasten or rebuke those whom he loves if they are wicked, Isaiah's prophecy means that a time will come when Israel will become righteous enough that she will need no chastisement from the Lord. That was by Victor Ludlow. Verse 10, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the the covenant of my people be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. His promise to restore Israel is just as sure as his promise to Noah. Verse 11, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and thy fountains with sapphires. Jerusalem, which was once destroyed and left desolate, will be restored and beautified by the Lord in the form of a new Jerusalem. Elder Holland said, Even in the midst of an aftermath of great affliction, the Lord will shower material and spiritual blessings on Israel, including those jewels and precious metals that will be used to build the new Jerusalem. In the midst of a troubling world, the foundations I rely on come by my covenants with the Lord. They are indeed like sapphires and are treasures beyond price. They are the restored principles and ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which are available to righteous women and men alike through the power of the holy priesthood of God. They include baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the sacrament, and temple covenants. And that was by Eileen Clyde. Verse 12, And I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. These stones represent the spiritual and temporal blessings the Lord will pour out on his people. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Zion shall begin to be built before the time of Christ's second coming in glory. The saints who are gathering, or who are gathered in all nations, shall live for a season in love and peace, despite the degenerative condition of the world prior to the millennium. Because of the goodness of those who have given themselves fully to the Lord in his cause, their meetings shall be Pentecostal outpourings. The Spirit of God shall truly burn like a fire in their hearts. Prophecy and revelation and healings and angelic ministrations shall abound, and for the 
faith of the saints shall have rent the damning veil of unbelief and opened the heavens to the gifts and wonders enjoyed by the former day saints. And these spiritual experiences shall be multiplied immeasurably after the glorious return of the Master. When wickedness and enmity shall have been removed from this earth, there will be no end to the truths to be taught, the miracles to be performed, the outpourings to be enjoyed. Truly, in that day, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. All men and women who choose to do so shall shall grow in spiritual graces to the point where they are prepared to inherit that glory and power which is enjoyed by God their Father. In that day, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 14, In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression. For thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together against thee, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. The Lord will defend his righteous people. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the water to destroy. God controls everything. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise or shall revile against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The Lord's people will be able to stand against gossip, slander, and accusations in a court of law. Ultimately, our righteousness is insufficient to save us, though our obedience with broken hearts is required to bring us unto Christ. It is his righteousness that saves. Joseph Smith said, No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, armies may assemble, calumny may, may defame, but the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent till it has penetrated every continent, swept every country, and sounded in, in every ear till the purposes of God shall be accomplished, and the great Jehovah shall say, The work is done. John Taylor said, The day is not far distant when this nation will be shaken from center to circumference. And now you may write it down, any of you, and I will prophesy it in the name of God. And then will, will be fulfilled that prediction to be found in one of the revelations given through the prophet Joseph Smith. Those who will not take up their sword to fight against their neighbor must needs flee to Zion for safety. And they will come, saying, We do not, honor, we do not know anything of the principles of your religion, but we perceive that you are an honest community. You administer justice and righteousness, and we want to live with you and receive the protection of your laws. But as for your religion, we will talk about that some other time. We will protect such people. Will we protect such people? Yes, all honorable men. When the people shall have torn to shreds the Constitution of the United States, the elders of Israel will be found holding it up to the nations of the earth and proclaiming liberty and equal rights to all men and extending the right of fellowship to the oppressed of all nations. This is part of the program, and as long as we do what is right and fear God, he will help us and stand by us under all circumstances. Bruce R. McConkie said, We do not say that all the saints will be spared and saved from the coming day of desolation, but we do say there is no promise of safety and no promise of security except for those who love the Lord and who are seeking to do all that he commands. It may be, for instance, that nothing except the power of faith and the authority of the priesthood can save individuals and congregations from the atomic holocausts that surely shall be. And so we raise the warning voice and say, Take heed, prepare, watch, and be ready. There is no security in any, any course except the course of obedience and conformity and righteousness. 
George Q. Morris said, but bear in mind that the Lord is directing this work. We are frequently reminded that conditions have been so developed in the powers of warfare that an accident or a rash move could set in operation those powers which might destroy our civilization. But let us bear in mind that this world is in the hands of God. All these things will happen only so far as they are in accordance with his plans and his purposes. And let us not waste our time and our energy and get into a nervous condition about what is going to happen to the world. That is not our sphere of responsibility. The Lord will take care of that. It remains for us to be devoted to this upbuilding of the kingdom and facing whatever conditions may come to us. John Taylor said, Neither this nation nor any other nation can do anything more than God permits. He sets up one nation and puts down another. According to the counsels of his own will, all men are but human. Their breath is in their nostrils, and they have no power but that which God gives them. Anything beyond this they are powerless to do. And why then should his people fear? We certainly have a work to perform on the earth, and God our Father has selected us for that purpose. Wilford Woodruff said, Can you tell me where the people are who will be shielded and protected from these great calamities and judgments which are now, even now at our door? I'll tell you, the priesthood of God, who honor their priesthood and who are worthy of their blessings, are the only ones who shall have this safety and protection. They are the only mortal beings. No other people have a right to be shielded from these judgments. They are at our very doors. Not even this people will escape them entirely. If you do your duty and I do my duty, we'll have protection and shall pass through the afflictions in peace and in safety. So that's the end of the chapter, and uh, we'll see you next time. Hope you come back. Bye.